Yay. Technology is not my best friend. But it is so good. I love looking out there and seeing the new ones and realizing that some of us are older, but to have this sweet time with you over God's word, it is such a blessing of who God has brought to Highland in all generations. And you younger ones just don't know how you stir our hearts that have been here for a while. Um, and we are, we do love and appreciate the Rosses and do, they give so much of themselves all the time to equip different parts of the body of Christ and here at Highland. So he's, they are God's gift to us and we are going to just trust that they're having a romantic time. <laughs> uh, I asked if I could tell this a little bit more personally. I, I, I am so glad God brought me to Highland, but you actually had been here longer if you were here in 73. We came in 75. So you win. <laughs> you were just a little girl. But anyway, um, I, uh, I married my high school sweetheart. I grew up here in Waco and went to Baylor. Um, he went away to college. I stayed and we got married the weekend after I graduated from Baylor. Uh, we had a few years in pro football after the college years and we birthed two wonderful sons together. One is a dentist here in town and he birthed me four brown-eyed grandchildren and my Micah, who is up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, has uh, he, he's a top manager in FedEx, the whole whatever, the big company, and he, he birthed me two grandsons that are blue-eyed. And the reason I tell you that is because they say we can pray and ask the Lord anything, and I prayed for blue-eyed baby boys, and I got two of them instead of all brown-eyed. <laughs> so um, she was sharing how... I was privileged to be involved in Bible study after I got to Waco with Bible Study Fellowship when it very first came to Waco. And then from there, got involved with a, a ministry called Precept Ministries. Some of you may have heard of Precept. And I got to be a, a state trainer, which simply meant Precept trained me to go out all over Texas because nobody knew how to do inductive studies, so they would send the trainer when classes wanted to get started. So out of that relationship, I was so blessed for this, and I, I want to share this to just show how good God has been to me in that he allowed me to teach Precept two different years, 95 and 97, for short terms in the former um, Bible Institute in the former USSR, all of what used to be what is Russia. God had designed that some of the precept material ended up over there and they would send us trainers to teach them and out of that came a beautiful relationship with some of my younger students that, um, that one of them went to Belarus. And in 2000, I was invited to his wedding. And then Highland uh, decided that we as staff needed to start leading mission trips. 
and we're sitting, oh, I forgot to tell you, I was on staff for 23 years here as, as children's director, some of those wonderful years of my life. And, um, and so we're sitting in a staff meeting, and Barry Camp, who was our pastor at that time, said, so, where are we going to lead mission trips? Joy, where are you going to lead a mission trip? <laughs> I'm children's director. <laughs> And so God let me start leading Highland members. So I led mission trips to Belarus, which is a communist country, from 19, uh, 2002 to 2011. So the mission heart of Baylor, of Baylor, of Highland, and Baylor students, every time y'all go somewhere or part of our people, I'm just so with you in my heart because what we see God do, not only in our midst, but just to out because he, the whole world he loves. So um, I have one other little story to tell you about my life. God decided eight years ago that the number of days my husband had been allotted uh, before he was born, according to Psalms 139, that he was going to promote my husband to heaven. So God has proven himself as my husband, and I delight in it, that he would even let me be teaching because I always felt like I was under my husband's umbrella to be able to get up and teach. So anyway, it's my pleasure, and um, let's see. We're not going to really talk about the law, per se. We're going to talk about the Word because I had a divine meeting with um, Janet in the elevator last Sunday, and I'd been struggling to take their material and develop it. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. That's not what I want you to do. I want you to teach on the value of the word. So that's where my heart beats. So we're going to go with that. So let's get started. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount verses. And then I'm going to take you to some other verses where Jesus was teaching later in his ministry the same thing he taught in, on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, that he restates actually after his resurrection. So then we'll end by tying together very familiar verses that show the value of our time in God's word. So we're on the hillside, right, of Galilee. And uh, that's near Capernaum. The, the sea is visible. And we're listening to the Lord's inaugural address as he is starting his ministry uh, many of the crowd had been following John the Baptist, and uh, he's been put in prison. So the crowds had been following Jesus as he had done miracles for them, and they were following after this one that they didn't fully understand, but they sure liked what they saw about him. And he sits down on the hillsides, and if any of you have been or do get to go to Israel, this hill with the acoustics, it is a perfect place for Jesus to have taught the multitudes. And so with John in prison, the crowd gathering, he's called a few disciples to come and be with him. And so he, he understands, of course, he being God, that what later the Holy Spirit had Peter pen, which is, you're not born again by the incorruptible seed. You're born again by... You're not born again by the corruptible seed, that which rots. You are born again by the incorruptible seed. So he starts teaching them. And uh, 
They'd never heard things that we've already kind of been together learning. He, they never heard such as, blessed are those who mourn, or blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those who do this are so spiritually happy because they're coming in the right relationship with a true and living God, and so they're spiritually happy. They hadn't heard, you alone, you alone are the salt of the world. You are the light of the world. They're sitting there listening. They had never heard anything like this. And so um, what I wanted us to do was, if you have your Bibles or the little notebook, I want you to read the lesson out of the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 18. Jesus on the hill that has good sound, the people that have just come to him because of his miraculous power, and he's teaching them. When, when John the Baptist was uh, not in prison, his message was, repent, change the way you're thinking, go a different direction than you are now because the kingdom of heaven is here. And then John's put in prison, and Jesus' first sermon was the same, repent, the kingdom of God is here. So he's going to take them further. And so he says, after he said the other things, he says, do not think. Don't think this. Don't even suppose that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. So there's two parts of the word there, the law and the prophets. I haven't come to destroy it or overthrow it, but to fulfill it, I complete the law. And so it's just a process that he's trying to teach them. So without going into detail, and I think some of us have enough understanding of the times in which Jesus was in Israel, that it was a hard time. It was a difficult time, and the people were living under very heavy burden that had been placed upon them by the Pharisees, the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses at Mount Sinai, and then the rest of the uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy kind of takes those ten and expands them for how to live practically in line, which I do want to stop. I had Ellie look this up. I want y'all to know something a little aside from the lesson. Our state Congress has, has voted on two things. One, they want to put back in schools, all the public schools in Texas, in God we trust. And then they're not making this happen, but if a company, an entity, a school, anybody wants to put the Ten Commandments back up visible, Nobody can get in trouble with it. They're going to support it. Yay. So um, the Ten Commandments had become like under the heaviness of the Pharisees and all their legalism had become Ten Commandments had become 613 laws that these people were burdened under trying to live a holy life. And uh, an example is the Sabbath to keep it holy 
had gone to 40 different laws of how the people could break the Sabbath. So you can imagine what life was like. There was no life. It was all just burdensome. So he goes on in verse 18 after he said, I haven't come to abolish or destroy the law. For truly, that word means amen. And it's very interesting that Jesus is the only one who starts the sentence with amen. We always put amen at the end of a prayer, and that's kind of what they did through the Old Testament. They'd pray and then say amen. But Jesus uses amen in the beginning of the sentence, and it's there to say, this is really going to happen, so I need you to really listen. So be quiet and know this. For truly, by my authority, I say to you, until heaven and earth Heaven and earth and he- heaven and earth pass away. Not one jot or tittle will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. So he's holding up the word and saying it is what it is and nothing's going to change about it. Heaven and earth can pass away, but not one jot or tittle. And we're not familiar with jot or tittle because it's related to Hebrew. Is there anybody here that studies Hebrew or has studied Hebrew? Good, then I can tell you what I learned. <laughs> that um, the, the tittles, if you've ever looked at the Hebrew language using a strong concordance or anything like that, you see the lines that make the letters. That's the tittles. And then you notice these kind of little marks that are commas that are on the co- corner or the bottom of the letter. That's the jot. And so he's saying, not one little detail, not one little stroke of what is God's word is going to be taken away. It's all there forever. So even heaven and earth will pass away. But what he's also showing them is something he's letting them know. I came to fulfill this law. I'm going to complete it. So he's starting to show them through this message that all things in the law were written about him. And so another way to look at it is he can say, look, I didn't come to destroy what you're, what, what's written, not the way you're having to live, what's written because it's all about me. I'm going to live it out. Heaven and earth is temporary, but I am eternal. So the sermon on the mount was the very, very beginning of Jesus' ministry, and now I want to take you through the scriptures to um, after his resurrection. And he's on a road with two disciples that were very, very confused. This is one of my favorite sections of scripture. And they left Jerusalem, and they're walking along, and they're miserable. They're returning home on that road of Emmaus. And Jesus just shows up, and he does, they don't even recognize him until he opened their eyes. After explaining everything through Moses and the prophets. So if you turn to Luke 24, we're going to see that there's a similar way that Jesus is revealing how the law or what was written in the law had to do with him. So Luke 24, verse 27, if you will allow me to read. 
So just picture um, these two disciples just befuddled. This is the day of his resurrection. So he's already died, been in the grave three days, and then they must have missed it that he rose. They didn't stick around to hear what the women had to say. So then beginning with Moses, in other words, the Torah, this time he's going to the whole first five books of the Bible. Then beginning with Moses and with the prophets, there's the second part of the Bible, he explained to them, this is on the day of his resurrection, these things that you're familiar with, they were written about me. These things written about himself in all the scriptures. And so I love this next verse, verse 32. They said, were not our hearts burning within us when he was speaking on, to us on the road while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Can't you see them walking along and Jesus kind of, and they don't recognize them? And he starts revealing Moses, what all those five books are about, the prophets, that's about me. You know, let's talk about creation. He puts his arm around him. I was there. I'm creator. All things were created by me. Without me, nothing was created. I am the word of God. And when he spoke, I made it happen. He said, let there be. It was done. I was creator. Um, when there was sin that entered the world and God killed the lamb and covered Adam and Eve and the blood was spilled, that was God's way to show what I was going to do down the timeline, that my blood would cover sin because with the first sin, God covered with blood. You know, when he talked about in the part of Genesis where the trouble began when the serpent tempted Eve. I'm the seed of the woman that was to come and I'm the one that when I was hanging on the cross, it was prophesied about me way back then that I would bruise the head of the serpent. And when you step on the head of a serpent, if we ladies would get that close, you kill the, the crawly thing. But also it said, you will bruise, he will bruise my heel. That's what happened to me when I was hanging on the cross. My heels were bruised. So all of this was written about me. Abraham, when, when it said, all the nations of the world will be blessed through you, I'm the one that when the nation of Israel was formed and I came out of that nation, it's through me that all the nations, and he just went on and their hearts just burned. So um, as he, as he uh, explained the scriptures, they ran back to Jerusalem. They ran to the upper room. That's where the other disciples were. And they, they said, we've seen him. We've seen, he, he's alive. The Messiah is alive. And then if you look at 44 and 45, this is his last explanation. And there's one more thing that I wanted you to see. These are my words which I spoke. He just appeared to the men that were in that upper room. 
and that included the two that had run back from the road of Emmaus. These are my words, which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things that are written in, let's count them, the law of Moses and the prophets, that would be the major and the minor prophets, and get this, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I'm the fulfillment of all that Old Testament written word. So there's the word again, the jot and tittles, every mark, it, wouldn't, it, it is the truth and it's accomplished because he is here, his mission accomplished. I jotted this down. I don't know if you'd uh, be interested in it, but the Old Testament is the anticipation of Christ. It looked forward to Christ. The Gospels are the incarnation of Christ. He came. The Word became flesh and walked amongst us. Acts, when the church was um, brought into existence, the Holy Spirit came and the mission started to spread the Gospel across the world. Acts is the proclamation of who Jesus Christ was. They took the message even to us Gentiles. The epistles, the letters, are the explanation. So when you're looking at those letters, that's the explanation of Christ. The epistles start out with doctrine because the church is formed. Now remember, he's clear. All the Old Testament was written about me, but I'm trying to show you how the New Testament kind of maps out. Of course, we know it's about Jesus, but the epistles all start out with doctrine in the beginning chapters to reaffirm that the church understand who Christ is and who we are in Christ. And then the letters in with how to live because of who Christ is. And then the last book, Revelation, is the glorification, the day that he will return. So the whole counsel of God is about Jesus, from Moses' writing to Revelation. So let's continue and let's let the word burn in our hearts the way that it did as the disciples were on the road to Emmaus. I started to say, let's look at these verses, but I want us to ruminate on them. You know what that word means? Cows, is it, am I saying it right? Ruminate, ruminate, they chew it. They chew it and let it digest. And I love to see what the word says about itself. So we're gonna go over some verses that are very familiar to you, but I'm praying that God will open our hearts with a fresh fervor and understanding. So 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 16. We know Paul is writing Timothy He's passing the baton to Timothy because he knows he's going to be dying. He's in Rome writing Timothy. And those of us that came uh, on Sunday for the lesson that we're going through, 2 Timothy on chapter 3, any of us in that too around here? Remember, in chapter 3, Paul was sending Timothy back to uh, Thessalonica because he was concerned that that little church, because of, that he had only been there three weeks, would go 
away from believing because of persecution. So Timothy was loyal and the one that he's passing the baton to. And so he says to Timothy when he first met, when he, he met him on the first, uh, first journey, and then he traveled with Timothy on his second and third missionary trips. So he says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. And here it is, how from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to make you wise to, for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Before we go on, I just want to share, this was my focus verse for children's ministry when I uh, was able to serve the Lord with the beautiful children that he brought through our first through sixth grade chapter, that they would learn the scriptures that were wise to bring them to salvation. But here's the most wonderful truth that Paul is laying out. This, this scriptures that were written, Timothy, all, all scripture. This is the New American Sp uh, Version Standard all scripture is inspired by God. That word inspired means divine breath or divinely breathed. So the ESV says it this way. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's his breath. We think of it and we limit ourselves that it's true, but it's the very breath of God breathe it. Heaven and earth are passed away, but not one jottle or tittle is going to go away. So it's very important that we realize that we live in a time when more and more people are rejecting the breath of God. It really started in the garden and it's gone on since then. It really steeped in the 1700s with the Enlightenment and Darwin's grandfather was very enthralled and then Darwin comes along in the 1800s and the lie of evolution comes across the ocean, gets written in Schofield Bible footnotes, it goes to the universities and the seminaries and so the lie is there confusing but God breathes that he is the creator. So... Um, Let's just write it, let's just say it this way. If we believe that it is God's breath, his inspiration, and people are saying, no, 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 no. Reject, reject, reject. We've got a culture out here, culturally relative, that doesn't fit. Things are changing, the Bible's old. Just tell people that are that. God's word that is his breath, that is divinely inspired, is for all people, in all places, at all times. The word doesn't change with the times. The times need to adhere to the plumb line of God's word. So, since it's inspired by God, it's his very breath, his life coming forth, it is a big word, infallible. That means it's incapable of failing. Whatever he says is going to happen. 
it is another N word, it's inspired, it's infallible, and another big word is, is inerrant, that it is without error, every jot and tittle. And if ever you're going through scripture and something doesn't seem to fit, the more you handle it, it's gonna answer itself in what you think you thought, aha, I found a mistake here. There's no mistake. So, um, with this understanding, he deserves us sitting. He deserves us interacting with his life, with his breath. He's God. He left us this. And so, we've got to think, am I, am I making time to be alone with him? If we understand that this is the breath, the life of God, I say that we pray, that's us talking to God and the prayer that he left us, that's a gift. The word is God talking to us. So we do this, but do we do this? Do we let him talk to us? I heard a girl go, I pray all the time and I just never hear God. I want to go, darling, pick up your Bible. He'll talk to you. So Peter tells us in, chap in chapter 2, verse 2, if you want to go there with me. These are very familiar verses for you, but he says, like newborn babes. That's not saying you are a babe. He is using a comparison. You and I are to be like newborn babes. And what do newborn babes do? They long for, there's a hunger for the pure milk of the word. That by it, the breath of God, we grow in respect to salvation. So long for is this desire, this craving uh, I love this part when I looked up the word. It means pursuing it with love. When we desire the pure milk of the word, we're desiring it with love, a pure love. So, you know, just uh, y'all are here. You have a hunger for God's word. And we're blessed to be in a church that is a word-based church. But do you personally have a hunger to spend time with God? to long for, to show him your love like you want to take in his breath. And when we do that, something happens vertically. And I call it mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. <laughs> and so, if I could be candid, and I'm not saying this about this group, okay? But I think you'll agree with me. America is biblically illiterate. We wonder why we're where we are. The Bible has not been taken in by the body of Christ. And so I'm going to try to develop what my perception has been as I used to go around and lead workshops around Texas. There's this lack of the word because... The body of Christ is trained this way in America. Now listen to me, and I'm not going to be stepping on anybody's toes. This is just Joy's perception. 
We are trained as a people of the body of Christ. Now, God gives us pastors and teachers, and we have rich teachers and a wonderful pastor, and the word is given forth in church. But does that replace our time being alone with God? It shouldn't. Because what in truth we're doing when we just rely on somebody else to teach us they prepare, they spend time taking in that breath. But then by the time we come along and listen to them, as wonderful it is, honestly, it's pre-digested food. So I wish I had time to tell you my story of how God moved me away from just depending on somebody else to feed me. And he does have a... a uh, a personal verse in the Bible when he wrote Timothy, he said, study, and that word means handle, handle the word. You as a person handle the word yourself to show yourself, make that effort because it says it pleases God when we do that out of love. So I wanna look at this last verse and if you will, um, oh, I was going to write, I was going to tell you, because we have that personal, if you really can wrap your heart and mind around the thought every time we pick it up and go to read it wherever he has us, if, it, if it's five minutes, and that's how I literally started out, somebody of a conference that I went to said, God gives us 24 hours a day. What do we do with all our time? Could you not give God five minutes? I said, oh yes, I can give God five minutes. I, I can do that. I was a young mother, had two young sons and busy, busy, busy. And I'd lay down at night and I'd feel almost the hand of the God remind me, didn't you make a, a commitment that you want to spend five minutes with me? So I'd get up, I'd turn on the light in our bathroom, I'd get my Bible, I'd get down on my hands and knees, five minutes, God, you got five minutes. And that's how I started out, trying to take in the breath of God. Um, but uh, every time now, if we could just, when you sit with it, go, oh God, this is your breath. Would you breathe on me? I want to take everything in instead of being stale, black and white, got to get it done, da-da-da. So here's, here's a verse, and I memorized it in King James, and this is the last verse that I think I want to dwell on. The word of God, his breath, is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So when we are in the word of God, the breath of God, it's, it's alive. I mean, it's, it's living, it's active, it's powerful, it's not weak. Now, when it says it's sharper than a two-edged sword, it's not like one of those Roman long swords that's sharpened on one side. This is one of the shorter Roman swords that's sharpened on both on two sides. So this word of God, this breath, this aliveness, this power, 
that if we're spending time out of love and we want him to speak to us, it pierces, it slices in, it gets to the deepest part of our soul and our flesh. And it says the, a bone and marrow. I'm not a doctor, and so if there's a doctor in the room, I'm not calling for you. You can correct me afterwards. But to say that it, it divides the uh, bone, the joint and the marrow, they say that the bone where the marrow is and where it makes blood, that that's the most divisive fine line of anything, anywhere. God built it. That in that structure of the bone, the blood starts being made. And the word of God can divide right to the division of that. The same with our thoughts and our intents. So it pierces really, really deep. Um, I heard a, let, let me just say, if we're in the word for more than information and we want that piercing done, we could go on with Timothy and, and it's profitable. And part of the profitability is what it does is it points out, we think we're okay. Oh my goodness, this happens to me all the time. I have two dear friends sitting here and, and I had to apologize to them one day we were driving the car. I said, oh, y'all, I'm so sorry because what the breath of God had done in me, I thought it was okay. I wasn't. That's how piercing his word is to clean us out and show us. So it's not going to happen if we're not there, but he judges our thoughts and our intents. That's how deep a thought. So I heard a pastor say this. When I was young, I sinned a whole lot more than I do now and I confessed a lot less. But the older I've gotten and the more I'm in the word, I sin less, but I confess more. That happens. So from Genesis to Revelation, it's the breath of God. It's about Jesus. He said, I didn't come to do away with any part of it. Heaven and earth are gonna go away, but I'm eternal and this word is eternal and we're to live because of him and the word. So we all can say this together probably. In the beginning was the logos, the same thing that's written for the written word. The word was with God and the word logos was God and the Logos became flesh and walked amongst us. So we can't know the breath of God without knowing, without knowing the word, the Lord of the breath. So I'm going to read something. I want you to close your eyes. This is a very familiar, but let's let the breath of God just be heard or felt. So listen to the breath. For God so loved the world. Now listen. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him. Now listen to the breath of God.
shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, Father, thank you, thank you, thank you that your word is alive, that it grows us, that it is powerful, that it pierces, that it discerns. Oh, Father, how do we thank you enough for the reality that heaven and earth will pass away, but this is eternal. I'm asking that, Lord, you place in each of our hearts not the burden or the guilt, but the desire to hunger and to thirst after your word. We want to sit with you. We want you to speak, even if it's for five minutes. And when you open the word the way you did on the road to Emmaus, and our hearts will burn because you're explaining something to us, maybe something that we have never seen before, maybe a stirring of what we need to see again. But we, when we spend time with you in that beautiful word, that eternal word, we cannot help but be in awe, in awe of you. In the name of the word who walked among us, I pray. Amen.